We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today is considered one of the best defensemen in NHL history. He is in the Hall of Fame. He won two Norris trophies, and he won six Stanley Cups as a player. He also won a Stanley Cup as the head coach of the New Jersey Devils, two more as an assistant with the Devils, and one as a consultant with the St. Louis Blues. Even more impressive, he holds an amazing record that we're going to get into that might never be broken. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Larry Robinson. Larry, welcome. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's good to have you on the show. And and obviously, as as the intro uh, suggests, there's a lot to cover here. but uh, but I love to you know kind of jump in and, and talk a little bit about you know background and childhood and all that. You're born in Winchester, Ontario. You're raised on yeah. basically a farm in Marvelville, uh, yeah. which is in Ontario, but but in kind of the far eastern part, actually a lot closer to Montreal than Toronto. Um, tell me a little bit about you know kind of growing up and and how you got started in hockey. My understanding is you went to a one room school for at least some yes. period of time. Um, and and I'd also love to hear, you know, kind of who you rooted for growing up. Who was your team? Well, uh, as you said, uh, I grew up on a farm. There was uh, five of us. I had uh, two brothers and two sisters. Uh, unfortunately, I lost my oldest brother to cancer uh, about 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's what we I mean, we we grew. I didn't really play organized hockey until I'd say around the age seven or eight. Um, uh, Russell, Ontario, which is about uh, 10 miles away, uh, the local Lions Club uh, used to sponsor all the minor hockey down there, and we, we played our minor hockey de- uh, in uh, Russell. So <clears throat> that's where I started out and learned how to skate and uh, play organized hockey and all that kind of stuff. And... Uh, I went uh, went to, as you said, a one-room school. Um, in fact, uh, one through eight. Uh, at grade eight, I graduated to high school and then um, had to catch the bus every morning at 7.20 to 
to go to high school from the from the farm, but grew up working the farm. I mean, it was three three hundred and sixty five days a year. Uh, when you weren't milking cows, you were planting corn or working the fields or the one job I know I hated the most was plowing the fields because it was so damn boring. But uh, in the summer, um, yeah, they asked me if I ever lifted weights. Well, you, you're lifting weights every day on a farm because you're lifting bales and lifting sacks of feed and all that other stuff. So uh, I guess I got that's where I got my uh, natural strength from was from doing that. And of course, you're milking cows, so you're bending and getting up and bending and getting up and carrying, well, 50, 60 pound pails of milk. Um, Because back then we didn't have um, uh, milk stations like they have now. They don't even, in fact, they probably don't even touch the cows now. We did everything by hand uh, as far as putting the milking machines on and taking them off and um, having to strip the udders after so the cows wouldn't get uh, um, mastitis and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then anyway, I mean, I stayed on the farm until probably age 16 or 17. Um, I, I ended up playing a couple of years for the Brockville Braves in the Central Junior Hockey League. But I went there as a forward. I played, I played some defense when I was on the peewee team because we only had a couple of defensemen. So I, I don't even know if I ever came off the ice playing as a as a as a peewee, but uh, when I got to the to the training camp, um, Dan Dan Dexter was the, the coach at that time, and he asked me if I ever played defense, and so I said, "Well, I I played a little bit when I was in peewee." He says, "Well, we only have two guys on defense, and with your size and everything, I'd like to see if you would play defense for us." And that's where I got started as a defenseman with Brockville was from uh, through Dan Dexter played there a couple of years and then uh, uh, Brockville then sold my rights to Kitchener uh, when I was in my last year of junior and uh, I played uh, in Kitchener then with uh, Billy Barber and uh, a few other guys uh, Ralph uh, Hopaveri and so on and so forth uh, my last year and then of course then I got drafted by Montreal so that was yeah. kind of my uh, my growing up years. I I, I did um, I did go to uh, Osgood Township High School, uh, which is right across the street from uh, the arena that they named after me, and um, so I was highly involved in football and uh, track and field and all those kind of sports. And uh, I'm not sure, but I, I think I might even have still have a couple of uh, records in the. Uh, on the wall for uh, track and field, so I, I enjoyed being in all all types of sports. Oh yeah, and um, when when you were growing up, were you uh, were you a Leafs fan, Canadians fan, somebody else? Well, <clears throat> actually, I was a, a Chicago. I, I was a Chicago Blackhawks fan. I loved their their sweaters, and uh, the Russell Lions Club actually had a the logo on their chest of all of our sweaters was uh, um, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, logo. So, and then of course, of going to, when I went to Brockville, the Brockville Braves also had the Chicago logo as well. So <laughs> kind of fell in love with that. But I, I uh, my big uh, hero was uh, Bobby Hall. I used to love to watch him coming down, taking that big slap shot and whatever. 
And uh, needless to say, I got to uh, play with Bobby then in uh, 1976 in the Canada Cup. So, and he was, and he actually was my uh, was my roommate. My roommate. So uh, it was kind of a big thrill for me. Uh, although I I saw him when we checked in, and I saw him when we checked out. And I, that was the, that was the only time I ever saw him, other than on the ice. <laughs> he, he, he might have been out at night. Ah, <laughs> uh, he just might have been. Yeah, yeah. And we can say that now because Bobby's in a better place than the rest of us right now. God yeah. rest his soul. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so you play for Brockville. You play for yeah. Kitchener, and like you said, you're you're with Bill Barber, which is kind of funny because then you guys go on to have you know obviously a great rivalry with the Flyers. <clears> um, yeah. And that Kitchener team. The defensive tradition there is insane. I mean, you obviously play there. Scott Stevens, Paul Coffey, Al McGinnis. I mean, what's in the water in Kitchener that all these, you know, kind of great defensemen of the 70s, 80s, 90s come out of there? Well, I don't I don't know, because we went through about two or three coaches. So uh, couldn't have been all the coaching. But uh, <laughs> it, for me, the greatest thing that happened in all the places that I went, uh, Brockville first and then, and then on to Kitchener was, I got to play a ton. We did, we yeah. didn't have a lot of defensemen um, because of my size, and um, I was a pretty good skater. I you know I got to play a lot, and and that's really I mean that's the only way that you're going to improve and and to get better is to be out in all situations and playing in all different kind of areas. And so uh, I think that for for me that was a, a big plus. And I, and I had some. I had some pretty good coaches too. I mean, Dan Dexter uh, taught me a lot uh, when I was here in, in uh, Brockville. And then uh, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember who my uh, last coach was in Kitchener. Um, was it Ron Murphy? Ron Murphy. Thank you. Yeah. And he came through, I think about halfway through because uh, uh, they, they had fired the, the original coach, but the, I mean, both of the, both of the coaches when I was in, Kitchener were, were great for me. They, you know, they gave me a lot of ice time and, and uh, that's what really helped me. Yeah. And so, so coming out of Kitchener, so you're, you know, you're in the OHA major juniors, you get drafted by the Canadians. You're the 20th (laughs) overall pick. They send you to the minors to play for the Nova Scotia Voyagers. And and I've got two questions about that. You're basically there for like a year and a half before you get the call up to Montreal. Two things. One, it, you know, it's gotta be, a little bit odd. You're a young guy and you're being sent off into like the maritime provinces. Was that, you know, kind of, you know, a little bit odd, like, is that an adjustment period, but also, and this is crazy to me, Al McNeil is your head coach. He had been the head coach the year before of the Canadians and had won the Stanley cup. And, and his reward was to get, you know, basically demoted to be the coach of Nova Scotia. Yeah. Um, I think in large part because he didn't get along. He was English speaking and he didn't get along with a, a lot of the French speaking guys to include um, uh, uh, Henri Richard. What was that like? You know, all of a sudden you're coming in, you're a young guy playing in the minors and you're playing for a Stanley Cup winning coach who won it three months ago. Well, <clears throat> twofold. I mean, uh, just going to my first training camp was a terrifying experience. I mean, uh, I remember when they were handing out the equipment, um, Eddie Palchuk was handing out the equipment for all the guys. They gave me a pair of shin pads and I looked inside the shin pads and you'll never guess what number was there. Number nine. So here I've got the friggin' rockets, old shin pads that came about three quarters of the way up and my shins didn't even cover my whole leg. And uh, Gila Point was 
sitting kind of right beside me and he kind of looked over at me and he goes, are those your shin pads? And he goes, yeah. And so calls uh, Eddie Palchuk over and he says, Eddie he said, look at this, get this guy a pair of pads that fit him. So, I mean, right there, um, that's the kind of teammates that we had in Montreal. They, we, everybody looked after each other. And so yeah. that was, that was the start of it. And then <coughs> pardon me, my first shift, uh back then we didn't do drills and all that kind of stuff you're when you went on the ice during training camp uh we you, you went in early september and uh basically got in shape at training camp but uh so we just played we played uh exhibition games against each other uh for training camp so first shift and who do i uh run into i i hammer uh claude rose who's good friends with jacques Perriere. And uh, so all hell breaks loose. And then, uh, as it turns out, Jacques Perrier was one of my first uh, um, teammates uh, when I uh, came up with Montreal. I played with Jacques probably for the first, oh, half a year before they finally put me with uh, Serge Savard. So uh, I got to learn from pretty darn good uh, uh, defensemen right off the bat. But yeah. so that's that was my kind of my introduction into it. and then. Of course, uh, then they, I get sent to uh, uh, down to Halifax. And at that time, I had a, well, what was Jeffrey? He would have been maybe six months old. I had a six-month-old boy to take with us. So here we are going down there looking for an apartment. And uh, he got a little baby. And then I, I, I'm trying to make the team. And um, so we're we're going to practice and everything else and playing a couple exhibition games. And I get called in from Al McNeil and he goes, Larry, you're six foot four, a uh, hundred. I don't know what I was, 195 or whatever. I know Gila point told me, he said, when I first, he first saw me, if you put a uh, swab of cotton on my head, I looked like a Q-tip, but uh, <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't very big. Uh, but anyway, he says, if you don't start playing tougher and, and uh, you know, using your size and, and uh, being physical, I said, you're, you're not, you won't be able to stay with us here. Uh, we're going to have to send you to Muskegon. And I'm going, oh, geez. So anyway, next exhibition game, uh, scored a goal, got in two fights, uh, hit everything that moved. And, and the rest, I guess, is history. So um, I guess I, I have uh, Al McNeil to thank for, for my career because uh, – he sure turned it around and, and uh, made me into the player uh, that I became. Uh, that, and we also had Claude Ruel down there working with us every day. So I had the luxury of staying on the ice after with Claude Ruel and shooting pucks and going retrieving pucks and, and everything else. So it was a tremendous experience. But I think the, the, the key to it all was we made a big trade uh, to get Guy Lafleur, And so we ended up getting... Um, uh, Noel Price. Uh, we also had uh, Kerry Ketter, uh, Mike Lawton, uh, Jermaine Gagnon, uh, Doug Robinson. I mean, we had like seven or eight like veterans in their in their early thirties, and and these guys were basically our leaders and and showed us the ropes and and kept all us kids like Murray Wilson was down there and Randy Rhoda. Um, Chuck Arneson and so these guys really showed us the ropes and what it was like to be a 
you know, a professional hockey player. So um, it was, I mean, everything just fell in line for me and was, was a, a tremendous experience. And we went on to win the Calder Cup that year. And, um, and then I had a really good training camp the following year. Uh, but, but at that time, I think uh, Montreal was carrying like seven or eight defensemen. So I was kind of the odd man out and I know I was a little disappointed, but, uh, I'm the type of guy, I don't, I don't sulk. I, I try to prove them, prove people wrong and Le Perrier got hurt. And then, so I came up to fill in for Le Perrier who was against Minnesota and uh, my first shift, uh, Al told me, he said, doesn't matter, get the nerves out, just hammer somebody. So the poor guy that I hit was Bobby Nevin, who's uh, not really known as a physical hockey player. But uh, anyway, he was the first guy that got nailed and, and uh, they liked the way that I played. And so uh, Sam Pollock called me in and said, uh, find, yourself, find yourself a spot. Uh, you're going to be staying with us for the rest of the year. So. I did. So I, and I played all the way through <clears throat> until the first round of the playoffs. And then we played against Buffalo. And then uh, I was one of the uh, so-called, what well, I guess they called them what the black aces uh, that uh, had to uh, practice while everybody else uh, played the game. So uh, Floyd Curry skated the crap out of us and kept us in shape. And, and then I got to come in against uh, the Flyers. Uh, in the second round, <clears throat> and in the second game, I scored the overtime goal in the second game, and we went on to beat the Flyers and then um, and then uh, Chicago in the finals. So I ended up Calder Cup my first year, Stanley Cup my second year. I'm going, wow, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good start to the career. <laughs> Pretty good start to the career, yeah. So. And that and that Canadians team that you, I mean, obviously you'd been in training camp with them, but when, yeah. when you come in that locker room, by my count, there's 11 Hall of Famers in that locker room. You know, yeah. some young guys like Dryden's still on the young side. Obviously, you, uh, you know, you mentioned Le Perrier, uh, Savard, and Lapointe, and then and then young guys like Lafleur and Shut, but also Cornoyer and Henri Richard and yeah. uh, 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 Claude Rose. Jacques Lemaire. Yeah, yeah, well, actually, and Claude Rose was there. And then uh, that year when we won in Chicago, that's when uh, LaRose uh, went flying into the net and broke his leg. Mm. And uh, so <clears throat> we, were, we were coming back. I'll give you a funny story. We're coming back on the plane after celebrating on the plane. And Lafleur gets so hammered that we have to take LaRose off of the stretcher on the plane and put Lafleur on there and put, and put poor Rosie in a, in a wheelchair to take them through the airport. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and uh, there was something, I was watching some clips and I, I couldn't tell the year you guys were playing the flyers and it might've been in that playoff round um, or it might've been a regular season game. You tell me where uh, Schultz hammers Van Boxmeer and he's down yeah. and, and there's, you know, there's some scrum and everything. And then the period ends and the flyers come flying off the bench. And it's, it's just, it's one of those classic seventies fights where like everybody is on the ice yeah. and bizarrely there's photographers on the ice and policemen on the ice, which is just adds to the, you know, the craziness. And then all of a sudden you just come shooting in out of, you know, like out from nowhere 
and you come in and you grab Schultz and you guys square off and you pound him. And uh, it's you know to the point where I think everybody in the league was like, whoa, what is this? Uh, t- tell me a little bit about that. And then I have to ask the question. Then there's a clip of you afterwards standing over by the side. And I think you take a drink from a fan. <laughs> a, fan gave me, a fan gave me a sip of a, I, I don't know. I, they, they said it was beer, but I don't, I can't remember. I know, I know I was out of breath. I know I was out of breath and I was uh, a little upset because when I got in that fight with uh, Schultz, there was about six, six guys that jumped on my back after I had, Sh- had Schultz down on the ice. So uh, I think it was uh, DuPont that I was a little uh, che- uh, cheesed off at because he was the first one to jump, jump on me. Yeah. He and, jumped you uh, from behind. Jumped me from behind. Yeah. And I, yeah, cause I went know. over to him after it says, okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, facing the other way now. Do you want to do you want to go at it? No, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just sticking up for my teammate, which, which I under, now I understand, but then I was so damn mad, but th- this was, um, you remember, I think it was back in the, uh, mid seventies or yeah, I think it was the mid seventies when NBC started um, broadcasting a game, one game a week. I think we're on Saturdays after yeah. Saturday afternoon, and this was one of those games. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Boxy got uh, suckered by with his glove. I mean, Schultz he had his glove on, but he still suckered uh, Ben Boxmere. So Boxy was down, and everybody was around around Van Boxmere and uh, you know kind of rung his bell or whatever but that was all cleared up but then what happened and why the brawl all started uh Clarkie went into the corner and Pierre Bouchard then came in and hammered uh Clarkie and then they started pushing and shoving and the fight started in the corner there and previously to that I had gotten clipped in the with by a stick and so I had a little bit of blood trickling down from my eye so uh, when I went back to the bench before this, all this stuff broke out, the trainer said, well, why don't you just go ahead? We're right near the end of the, the, the period. So you get a head start and uh, we'll just, uh, you know, fix you up or whatever. So I was in undoing my skates when one of the, the ushers comes in and goes, Larry, Larry, the bench clearing brawl, get out of here, get out of here. So I raced out of the dressing room, stopped at the bench, tied my skates up as quickly as I could and went on the ice. And as I was coming on the ice, everybody was kind of paired up except for uh, I saw Schultz and then I saw him coming towards Lafleur, and I went, that's not a good matchup. And so I jumped in, uh, in between Lafleur and, and uh, Schultz and I got a hold of Schultz and I, I had no intention of, of fighting him because it was right near the end, but, then he started pulling and pushing. And then I thought he tried to headbutt me. And so when he tried to headbutt me, I'd got my right hand loose. And then, so I just started swinging as hard as I could. And, and then I guess the rest is history, but yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, they call it, what, a, what they, um, something matinee, uh, when all hell broke, all hell broke loose, but that, it was all big news on the papers. So, but yeah. that kind of gave me a little lift as far as, giving me a little more room on the ice because uh, everybody didn't know that I could fight. But coming up through junior, I mean, and even in through the American League, God, you had to fight your, you had to fight almost every night because it was one or two bench clearing brawls every night. So you, 
you either, uh, you know, stood up for yourself or you got the crap beat out of you. Yeah. Uh, one commenter said something like, uh, uh, pardon the language, but he said, you know, with Larry Robinson, it was uh, fuck around and find out. <laughs> 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 you might not start it, but if somebody wants to, you know, mess with you, they'll find out. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't really one to go go looking for it, but right. if, if it came, then uh, I was a willing combat. Yeah. And, and, you know, for anybody listening who, who wants to watch this entertaining six or seven minutes, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's a bench clearing brawl. You come flying out of nowhere. And that's interesting. So you were in the locker room and then. You know, and, and Rich, it's in black and white. Yeah. And, and black and white. Right. And then, and then, and then you get in like four or five great punches on Schultz and who, um, and then, and then just the funniest clip is like you afterwards, just kind of over there by the stands, just kind of leaning and you just see you kind of take a <laughs> It's just classic. I mean, um, that's really funny. So, so, and and at this point, I mean, obviously, you're a very young guy, and you've got like this mix of you know incredibly young talent and incredibly older talent. You know, Richard is the captain, and he is for yeah. the first four years you play for them. Um, you know, what's that like? I mean, he's obviously you know dramatically younger than his brother, but even still, he's you know he's been in the league for decades. Yeah. Uh, what's it like playing with the Richard brothers or a Richard? Well, well, I mean, Rocket used to come in every once in a while and walk around the room, but um, <clears throat> never really said much. And Henry wasn't a big talker as well. But I'll tell you what, pound for pound, I don't know if there was anybody any tougher than than Henry. I heard a story about him when he was first starting, and uh, the guys used to get on him. Oh, yeah, you're only tough because your brother sticks up for you, and so on and so forth. And he he uh, he got in three fights, one after the other in Boston against Boston's three toughest guys. He won the first one, won the second one and tied the third one. And so after that, nobody ever, uh, you know, messed around with Henry because uh, he was one tough individual, but a great, like he wasn't, it was really funny uh, playing with Henry. Um, <clears throat> he was good on face-offs, wasn't the fastest guy in the world, didn't have the greatest shot. Um, but he was tremendously smart, was always in good position, um, was a great passer, could pass both, you know, both sides. Yeah. So, um, but, I, you know, it's just his competitiveness. I mean, you could you could see Henry, especially after the, play, the playoffs in, in uh, Chicago. He was the one that actually we were down 2 nothing, game seven. Two nothing uh, near the end of the uh, first period, and uh, Henry scored a really big goal to make it two to one. Then we come out, and I think it was uh, Rajon Hool and Mark Tarda scored two more to make it uh, put us up three two. And then we then we scored another couple in the third period. But he was this guy. I mean, he just never never say die. He just he just was a, a workaholic, very good penalty killer. But we had a lot of great 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 uh, players on those teams. I mean, we had players for every situation. If you wanted a goal, you know, you, you got it from maybe Cornway A or, or uh, LaPointe or whatever. Uh, and if you wanted to kitty bar the door, then you had Rajon Houle and Bob Ganey and so on and so forth. Uh, Jimmy Roberts. <clears throat> we just, we had a, we had a good uh, mixture of, of talent that could play the game any way uh, anybody wanted to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting in those years that that uh, I'm going to call it the third line comes together. Risebro, Yvonne Lambert and, and Mario Tremblay. 
And those guys, like their whole job was to just shut down the other team's scores, right? And they, they could yeah. score if they needed to, but their yeah. job was to kind of free things up for the other guys and just shut yeah. down the other team's first line. Um, uh, and that lot, like you guys on defense, that line was together for a while. Yes, uh, they brought they brought a lot. Of, Scotty, usually if, if the game wasn't going anywhere, it was kind of dull and we were listless, whatever, usually put them out. Because uh, Dougie Risebrow was a was a tiger out there, and Mario, you just never knew what we were gonna when he was gonna fly off the handle. And then Yvonne Lambert was kind of just the up and down winger, always in front of the net. Uh, I mean, uh, Yvonne uh, was probably though I think he was the leading goal scorer in the in the American League with the uh, Voyageurs. He scored fifty two goals one one year, so uh, he could put the puck in the net. And so if we needed a little lift or uh, the team needed a little lift. You usually put those guys out and they stirred things up. Yeah. And and around this time, that's when Lafleur is starting to really step up. Yeah. I interviewed Denny Potvan and he was talking about how Sam Pollock, the GM for the Canadians, would just fleece other teams. And he, he got Lafleur from the California Golden Seals. California could have used him. Um, and, and he gets Lafleur in. And not obviously not a big guy or anything, but that in like, I think 74, 75, he scores 50 goals. Yeah. And what, what was it like seeing him, you know, kind of come up the, come up the curve? Well, uh, Flower and I were drafted the same year. So uh, I had heard about him and, and knew about him, but uh, to, to, to watch him practice every day and watch him skate and watch him play was just, I mean, it was a it was a true honor for me to to be his teammate for all those years. It was he was he could just the stuff that he could do, and and everybody thought it came some a lot of it came natural. I mean, I never saw the guy work out. He would just come. What'd you do? Oh, I had to go here. I had to go there. I had to make this appearance and that appearance, and then he he'd come in, throw on his skates, and it was like he was he had been you know practicing for hours and days and months before he got the training camp. He just, he would just natural that way, but hours and hours of just shooting pucks and she, he'd probably shoot 200, 300 pucks uh, every day, just, wow. you know, and not too many would miss the net. And that's, that was his strength. I mean, you, if you looked at the guy, you wouldn't think he was very big, but his arms, he looked like Popeye. He had mm. huge, huge forearms. And he was, so he was a really strong individual. And, and of course he could fly. And the, and the, the thing that I tell everybody for a defenseman, what made him so good is you didn't have to put the puck on a stick. You, you put that puck in an area that he could reach it with a stick and he, his hands were so soft and, and so smooth. He could just pick the puck up and, ne and never lose stride. So mm -hmm. he always made us look like really good passers. Whereas a lot of the times they were probably in his feet and most people couldn't even get, but he was, he was certainly one of a kind. Yeah. If if there's an indelible image of the '70s hockey to me, it's him flying up the ice, hair flying backwards, and like his jersey, like you know, rustling in the wind, self-created yeah. wind. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I have to ask about Yvonne Cornwayer, you know, the captain yeah. during those years. Uh, well, after after Richard retired, um, like among other things, his speed. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about Yvonne Cornwayer. He's a guy who I think sometimes gets overlooked in a bizarre way. Yeah. I mean, Hall of Famer, well, captain, and all that, but not mentioned with some of the others. Right. Well, Ivan had a tremendous, I mean, his stick was, I don't know, it might have been like four, four and a half feet long, really, really tiny stick. 
Hmm. And he had a weird curve. It was, I don't know, like almost like a seven iron. Um, and <clears throat> he was another guy that, I mean, he had legs like tree trunks. I mean, he wasn't a big guy, but he was extremely well put together. I mean, he was a strong individual, but I, I think if, if you were to ask me the, the, the biggest and greatest trait of uh, Ivan Cornway was he hated to lose. I mean, hated to lose. And uh, he would do anything, uh, you know, to, to win a hockey game, uh, put his face in front of a puck, uh, whatever, whatever it took. And, and he brought that, that will and that desire uh, as to, into his uh, when he was captain. I mean, if guys weren't pulling their pulling their weight or were slacking off, he wasn't afraid to stand up and tell them he was he was a he was a good captain. Uh, um, different than and similar in to Serge in a lot of ways, whereas Serge was more of like a senator type and uh, didn't say a lot, but uh, was well spoken. Ivan, because of his the, maybe a little bit of the language barrier, uh, didn't always get his point across the way he wanted to, but uh, certainly made up for it in his desire and. Uh, demeanor as far as not wanting to to lose and 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 bringing uh, people along with him. Sure, and and come the seventy five seventy six season, you guys begin this run. I mean, obviously the Canadians' tradition is is you know winning Stanley Cups all over the place anyway. Yeah. But you begin the run of four straight. Uh, you you in that postseason seventy six, you guys go twelve and one. And I've I've been asked many times, you know, which was my favorite. Um, Stanley Cup. That that's always that one always comes to mind because that was the year of the the, the Broad Street Bullies and uh, they were having success uh, intimidating a lot of people. So for us to beat them in four straight and Kate Smith on the ice and all that other BS, it was it was wonderful. We just we I, I got to tell you a story. The last game. So we're up. We're up three nothing. It's the last game uh, bef- uh, in in uh, Philadelphia, and we're going. Everybody's getting ready for for warm up. So warm up, I, th- I think, it was a seven o'clock game. So it was around 20 to seven or whatever. Guys are all get, getting dressed. <clears throat> the only person that was, we were all dressed. The only person that was sitting down uh, with twenty minutes to go before we got on the ice was Kenny Dryden. Everybody else was up, standing around. You know, we got it pumping each other up and everything else. I, I just, I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking about that night. I don't think there was a team that could have beat us that night. We were, we were so, so prepared and so ready for a, for an NHL game. I, like I've never seen before. And I would, I don't think, I, I think that that was, if you ever talked about being unbeatable, that, that was a night that I thought we were going to be unbeatable. Yeah. And and Dryden, it's funny. I, I interviewed Scotty Bowman for the show, and we talked for a while yeah. about Dryden. And you know, he wins that he wins six cups, right between yeah. seventy one and seventy nine. But the seventy one, he only started six games in the regular season. It was just like kind of a gut feel by McNeil to then put him in the playoffs, and he wins. Yeah. He he's the Stanley Cup champ in seventy one. In seventy two, he's the Rookie of the Year. Because because he hadn't acquired enough stats right. the year before, so he right. the right. year after already being a Cup champ, then wins the Cup again in '73, year first year. Then takes a yeah. year off to yeah. study for the law, but really it's a contract dispute, right? 
Yeah. And then and then comes back, plays the one year where the Flyers win it, and then wins the four straight. He only played like seven full years, and he won six Stanley Cups. What What's it like? Obviously, you guys have this incredible D in front of him, but what's it like playing with Kenny Dryden? Well, <clears throat> Kenny was the, I guess sometimes in some nights he was the, the forgotten guy because he was so good that a lot of nights we'd come out and we were so flat in the first period and he'd end up standing on his head. He'd keep us in the game and then we'd come out in the third period and, and win, win a lot of games in the third period just because of, uh, you know, Kenny standing on his head. But sure. for me, uh, I, I remember most about Kenny was, was not when I played with him, but uh, the year that uh, he first came up in the playoffs against Boston. He between him and Pete Mahovich, they single-handedly beat beat Boston, who had a tremendous, tremendous team that year. I mean, Orr and Esposito and Hodge and all those guys. Yeah. And that's where I first saw Kenny and what he could do. I mean, he he looked like a mountain of a man uh, in the net. And then, and then you look at it now and you see the size of the pads and the gloves and everything else. I mean, he is just as he looked like a skinny rake compared to the look to the goalies now but can you imagine him with with today's equipment i mean he would nobody would have been able to well they couldn't score on him then either but he, he just he would have been unbeatable unbeatable yeah. Yeah. and was he was he like a big communicator like you know goalies are no different? no not no. at all he's a complete philosopher i mean so, so, you may he be he would he would talk and he would talk to you and uh so you would kind of shake your head and like uh, some of the words and the way he described stuff. It was just, you knew, I mean, you knew he was a very, very intelligent individual and, uh, but a, just a terrific person. Um, I love Kenny a lot. It, it, lovely family guy. Uh, whenever we get together, it's still nice to see him, but you don't see him that much. He kind of kept to himself. He was his own person, but he was studying at the time he was playing too. So yeah. uh, he had a lot on his, a lot on his plate. Yeah. And and the next year, so now you've, you've won in 76. The next year is arguably the greatest team of all time. You, you guys in an 80 game season, you win 60 games, you average 1.67 points per game, which is just incredible. You, you got at least a point in 90% of the games, obviously only eight losses. And this is the stat that blows me away. You guys outscored your, your opponents by almost three goals a game. I mean, that, that is 2.7 goals a game difference <laughs> per game. I mean, that's just an incredible statistic. So yeah. like I said, you guys are, you know, arguably the greatest team ever. And the, the one thing that stood out to me though, looking at that, you beat Boston in the, in the Stanley cup. They kind of had your number during the season in that. I mean, as much as a team can have, yeah. some they beat you three out of five times. So you're going into the Stanley Cup final. You guys aren't dumb. You know you're a really good team. But the, somewhere in the back of your mind, you must be thinking, these guys actually have played us really tough all year. Um, you know, what was it like going into that finals? And, and this, of course, is a Norris Trophy winning year for you. Yeah. Well, uh, well you have to remember, too, the Boston Gardens isn't the biggest biggest rink in the, uh, in the area either in the league. It's uh, I think it's like in between the blue lines was 10, 10 feet less than most other uh, normal rinks. So 
you had a choice. You either played in your end or you played in their end. And, and uh, fortunately for us, we played in their end a little bit more than we played in ours. And, and when we didn't, Kenny was there. Right. So, but I, I, I remember we were all saying to ourselves, you know what, <laughs> those, those eight losses and 60 wins, <laughs> they go right out the window. And I mean, even to this day, that, that, that still is, has been my philosophy as well, is that, uh, you know, the season just gets you there. Uh, but once the playoffs start, it's a whole, whole new slate. And yeah. we've seen it in a number of years, just even in present day, where, uh, you know, the top teams get knocked off in the first round because they haven't been able to elevate their game. So I think that was, that was our strength, I think, is that when the, our guys, some of our guys had, uh, uh, that we had at that time, especially the older guys, had already won cups. So they knew, they knew what it took and they knew that we had to elevate our game. And I, I, so I think that that was a, a plus for us in that when we went into those series, especially against, against Boston, we knew that we had to elevate our game and, and uh, you know, a, play a, a much different style. And, and I, I, I know I was asked by a number of people, well, why don't you play like that all year? I said, well, if I had to play all year like I did in the playoffs, I'd probably by the end of the year, I'd probably be about 170 pounds because it's just it's so taxing physically and mentally and everything else that you, you, it's just almost impossible to to keep that that uh, style of game up. But over short period, it's short period of time. And I say short, it's still almost two months, but you can elevate your game and you'd have a little bit of a rest period, especially if you one, four straight, you have a little bit of rest period in between, but um, that's, that's what we were able to do. And that's why we were able to beat Boston is that we had guys that could elevate their game. Maybe, maybe they weren't the, the same during the, the regular season, but come playoff time, it was a whole different story. Yeah. And, and you, and you guys go on, you win the next two. Also you're, you're the yeah. playoff MVP in 79. You put up, 21 points in 15 games. I mean, you have a hell of a, obviously hell of a playoff series. Rod Langway, another future hall of fame defenseman joins the team in 79. So it's yeah. you Langway and LaPointe and Savard and the defense is <clears throat> incredible. In those four years, a couple of things stood out to me. You guys in the playoffs go 48 and 10 in the 12 series, six are sweeps and three more are five game series. So four, one, um, I mean, that, that's just, a, you know, in addition to the four cups, I mean, that's just a level of dominance that we'll probably never see again. Um, and and then it's amazing to me after the 79 season, Scotty leaves because uh, Sam Pollock had stepped down as GM. I think Scotty wanted to be the GM as well as the coach. And they yeah. said, so yeah. he says, OK, so kind of plays out that year and then he's gone. Um, and a bunch of guys retired, Lemaire, Cormier. Uh, Dryden, you know, it's, it's a big change for the team. Yeah, huge change. Uh, yeah, huge, huge change. And, you know, and with it, uh, you know, the run of cup wins also ends. What was that like kind of being in that, in that, you know, you've obviously had this incredible run. You can't win every year. Um, right. So you would think. Um, but what was that like for a player? For me personally, I, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me, it was difficult because, uh, you know, I, I, for all those years I played, I played with Serge or I played uh, with guys that had been in the league. I played with uh, Roddy a little bit. I played with 
uh, Chelios and Brian Ingbloom and the likes of guys that had some experience. But now all of a sudden, because of my age and number of years I played, all the rookies that come in, uh, Peter Soboda, uh, Gaston Gingra, Jobert Delorme, I, all of a sudden now I'm playing with all these younger kids. So I have to, I kind of changed my style a little bit to be able to, you know, to not teach is a bad word, but, but, you know, to cover up and uh, to teach these, these uh, young kids, you know, how to play and how the Montreal Canadians play. So it was a big burden on me. And so a lot of my offensive stats, um, you know, uh, I had to, not give up, but I, I lost a lot because uh, all of a sudden now I didn't have a Serge Savard covering for me or or whatever. And I had these young kids, so every mistake I made, uh, I didn't have anybody covering up for me. So it it kind of turned my career around a little bit and and uh, made, made, made it a little bit harder for me. I had to work a little harder and think a little bit uh, differently than maybe I did uh, as a player before. So my stats took a, a beating. And as a result, you know, if things didn't go that well, um, they kind of turned to me and uh, I, I got was getting the blame for a lot of the, not the losses, but the, the way that the team was playing. Well, you know, Larry Robinson's getting older and he can't do what he used to do, which I totally agree with, but uh, we weren't, we, we didn't have uh, as good a team as we did before either. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's you know, a couple of years of, of, for lack of a better word, transition. And then a couple of things start to happen. And, and like, you, you know, LaFleur retires, but then all of a sudden you get in the draft, uh, Patrick Rua and, and guys like you mentioned, Chelios and Tom Curvers come on the team. Stefan yeah. is picked up. Um, and uh, Jacques Lemaire, a former teammate is now your coach. Is that a yeah. weird dynamic? Because that becomes a recurring theme where guys you played with are coaching you and or guys you played with, you become their coach, you know, further down the road. What's right. that like when the mayor's all of a sudden? No, that, for, for me, it was, it was, it was a great, it was a great transition because Jacques and I are great friends and uh, we hung around as players. I, I mean, I, I used to rent a cottage up by, uh, by Jacques up in, uh, in Tremblant. And so we used to spend the summers together and our kids uh, um, used to play together. In fact, uh, his son and my son ended up in uh, Detroit Country Day uh, on playing hockey up there uh, for a couple of years. So uh, for me, it was it was probably the best thing that ever happened because, you know, Jacques knew the type of player that I was and I I knew the type of game that he wanted to play. So it was a it was a easy, easy transition for me. Uh, but I, I think what made it, um, our, what really kind of turned our team around a little bit was, was when we made that trade for, uh, uh, for Rick Green and, and Ryan Walter. Mm. Uh, it it uh, kind of changed the dynamic of our team. It gave us a little more grit up front. And, and of course, Ryan Walter was a tremendous leader and, um, he uh, he really kept the that he made that made our team made our team better just in the, the type of person that he, that he was and the way that he worked and of course Greeny was a big uh, big unsung hero back there he was a he was a probably one of the best defensive players in the league at the time uh, first round pick in in Washington and 
Uh, so him and I became great friends and still are great friends. And, uh, and, and we were roommates back then. So uh, if you, for killing penalties, I don't know if there was anybody any better. He had a great stick and uh, made a good first pass was a big, big, uh, strong guy. So uh, I, that kind of turned our team around. And, and, um, and I think that's how we got to win the, uh, the next cup in 86. Yeah, that '86 Cup. It's it's the guys you mentioned, and also guys like uh, Matt Snasland and and yeah. uh, Bobby Smith, and also uh, Claude Lemieux, who yeah. you know wins one with you in Montreal. Then when you're coaching in New Jersey, he's I think he wins the Conn Smythe with you guys in New Jersey too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he's a guy who can get under somebody's skin. Uh, well, he you know that's what we were talking about before, which is when I said. You know, when we got to Boston and then able to raise our level. Well, there's another one like Claude Lemieux. If you if you could put up with Claude during the year and the stuff that he, he did and whatever, come playoff time, there was no better competitor than Claude Lemieux in the playoffs. And so a lot of coaches and general managers put up with the, the stuff that Claude used to do just because they knew what they would get come come playoff time. But uh, that line of uh, Scrudlin, McPhee, and and Claude Lemieux. I mean, we don't even make the playoffs without those three. I mean, Brian Scrudlin, you talk about one of your best captains. He he was a tremendous captain. Uh, he, you know, just he was just a, I don't know, such a positive individual and such a hard worker. Again, not the greatest shot in the world, uh, not a great skater, but just a hard hard tremendously hard worker he he was a probably a a bigger version of a of a uh, henry richard is what he was and uh so he was he was a he was a great teammate yeah and and Rawa is coming into his own in those yeah. years in, in your yeah. last year, kind of three or four years in in montreal uh yeah. obviously you played with dryden you now are playing with Rawa and winning a cup with him you'd ultimately be coaching brodeur so, you, so you're kind of one way or another with three of the best goalies yeah of the past you know, 50 years in hockey uh what was yeah. like what was Rawa like as he came up oh he was great he was he was a cocky little guy and uh i i actually love playing in front of him because I mean, the stuff. I, the the thing that comes to mind to me was the when the the I don't know it's the first or second game against uh, uh, New York in New York when we went to, into overtime and uh, New York outshot us thirteen to one in mm-hmm. overtime and he stood on his head and the one goal that we got uh, one of the defensemen we it was a, a it was a two on two and the defenseman hit the their defenseman hit the linesman and fell down and ended up a two on one. Claude went in and scored in overtime. So, uh, but that's, that's the way Patrick was. I mean, just so, I mean, he, he not only won a cup for me, he stole a cup from me. And when I was coaching in uh, Jersey, because uh, when he was in Colorado, he just, he stood on his head. He actually outplayed Brodeur uh, that final game in, in Colorado. He, we should have, we should have been up by at least three or four goals in the first period. And um, I think it was Ray Bork scored on a fluky goal late, late in the first period to put them ahead. And then they just, they just closed us, closed us out, but a great competitor. Yeah. And, and your last year in Montreal, uh, Pat Burns comes in as the coach mm-hmm. and um, 
And you guys, as you know, as a team, you, you have a, a pretty good season. You start off really yep. slow under him and then you guys, you know, kind of finish strong. Um, but uh, Burns is your coach. And then after that season, and I bring that up for a reason, after that season, you go to Los Angeles as a free agent. I want to talk to you about that. Um, yeah. But then you end up coaching with, uh, yeah, you're an assistant to Burns a couple of years later. So had you yeah. like forged a pretty good relationship with him in that one year, or was it just, <clears throat> was it just, you know, kind of timing that you ended up with him later on in New Jersey? No, well, I, I knew uh, Burnsy and I actually played against each other in minor hockey way back in, I don't know, it was Pee Wee or Bantam because he was from Gatineau or something like that and played in Gatineau. But um, no, we we forged. Uh, he uh, Burns Burnsy relied heavily on his uh, older guys for mm-hmm. you know their leadership inside to keep you know to keep the room uh, kind of uh, under control. And so myself and Burnsy and Bob Gainey and uh, the like, he he kind of leaned heavily on us to look make sure that we kept the young kids under, under tow. So I had a good, no, I had a very good relationship with Bernsey, but um, uh, when I went, when I uh, came back in the, in uh, New Jersey, um, I had, I had, I had left. I, I, I don't remember if that was, I think that was the time when uh, I didn't have a nervous breakdown, but I was, I had some difficulties going on. I just, it just uh, so much, pressure and everything else I just had to get away for a little bit and then Scotty asked me to come back so um I was kind of behind the scenes with uh with Bernsey and all that kind of stuff so uh, I was more like a consultant so I'd I'd bring guys and Bernsey didn't even know I'd bring, bring guys in to my room and and I'd have a, a videotape there and I'd go over their shifts with them uh Patrick Eliash and Scotty Gomez and a couple other guys and uh and so i i'd work with them uh that way and but because if bernsey ever knew he'd be uh livid or whatever so we kept a kind of kept it on back burner as far as that goes because bernsey had i i wouldn't say bernsey had a short fuse i'd say had no fuse because <laughs> he could fly off the he could fly off the hook pretty quick, but I was so happy when we won that one because uh, nobody deserved it more than than Burnsy. You know, the job that he did in in Toronto was phenomenal, and then of course when then when he came ended up coming to New Jersey, he was uh, he was great. The guys the guys loved him, but again he he had a, he had a short fuse. He could they he actually intimidated in, excuse me intimidated a lot of the younger guys, but. Sure. Uh, nobody better he would he would stand up for his players he was he was a pretty good guy yeah and and when you leave montreal having played for him for a year you go to la and you, your mm-hmm. last three years of your playing career in la you're obviously yeah. playing with gretzky who you know obviously that just a yeah. shattered trade from edmonton to la and you join yeah. a year later you've obviously played with a ton of stars and hall of famers and won a ton of cups in Montreal. Now you're playing with Gretzky. What's that like coming in? I mean, you played against him for a decade. What's it like playing with him? Well, that, uh, uh, well, actually it was, how would you describe it? A little, a little unsettling because I mean, you really didn't have any privacy Uh, everywhere you went, everywhere he went, uh, you know, there was hordes of people around and, 
the dressing room was uh, full of uh, movie stars and everything else. So it, it was completely opposite to what I was used to. I mean, nobody was allowed in the Montreal dressing room unless you were, a, you know, a reporter or you were part of the uh, organization. So it, it was a huge adjustment, you know, for me. And I struggled with it a little bit at, at first because um, I guess the best way to put it is uh, Rogie and Rick Wilson uh, Rogie was the the GM and Rick Wilson was the the go, uh, defenseman coach. They brought me into the room and they said, "Listen, Larry, we don't want you here to play the way like Gretzky does. We brought you here because of the way that you played." And I was having a hard time finding where I fit in and how, you know my style and whatever. Excuse me. So that really really helped me. And and uh, I think w- what happened was is I was trying to do all this offensive stuff. And I, I never was a guy that played just strictly offense. And, uh, you know, so I went back to my old style and then, uh, you know, I had, I had a lot of fun there for, for the three years that I was there, but Gretzky, I mean, Gretz did, did stuff. I mean, that, I mean, it, it wasn't a say, not the same as Lafleur. like Lafleur, you would go out and watch him on the, on the ice and he would just, he would do things that you just go, how the hell did he ever do that? Whereas Wayne's was, was more subtle things. I mean, Wayne would, would be, would, would have the puck and he'd make a pass to an area to a guy and, it, and you would look at yourself and go, how the hell did he know he was there? But, but that's, he was like one and two shifts ahead of everybody else or one or two plays ahead of everybody else. He just, he was a, uh, a tremendous he had a tremendous um thinking of the game he he was uh, a way ahead and shoulders above everybody else as far as the way he thought the game yeah yeah and um and yari curry was on those teams too right yeah yeah he ultimately came in from edmonton also yeah um, I, I always think of yari curry a lot with gretzky as kind of like steve shut with lafleur like i think of the one i think of the other yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the only difference is the Shuddy, you know, was a winger, and um, you know, uh, and there were two two sides, and you had Lemaire or Mahovlich in the middle. Whereas, you know, Curry and and Wayne Wayne was the disher, so he was he just could find Curry, but Curry had a tremendous shot and was a really good skater and could find the open holes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. that's a very good analogy, though. And so your your career ends, and you Lemaire, Jacques Lemaire, your your former teammate, your former coach, is now the head coach yep. of the Devils. And had you always wanted to be a coach? You basically go in and become an assistant for him. Was yeah, no, I, you know how that worked. I hmm. took a year off. I so I retired in '92, and I really, I really wanted to play another year, but I I hurt my uh, I took a slap shot on my left ankle. Um, in the last year, just before the playoffs. And then uh, I tried to, I tried to skate and I tried to get back in and it just, it, it never, it never healed. Actually, the doctor told me I should have probably broke it. It was so badly torn. And uh, so basically that was, that was the reason that I ended up retiring when I did is that I knew I couldn't play another year on my, on that ankle. So uh, I ended up, uh, at the time, I uh, was a partner with a, a friend of mine in Montreal, and so 
uh, on a uh, garage, a service garage. And so we had dealings with Goodyear and all these other places. So um, I got, uh, I was a national spokesperson for Goodrich, uh, BF Goodrich and uh, Firestone Tire Company. I, I guess not BF Goodrich, it was a Firestone Tire Company. And so I traveled all across Canada for a year um, visiting all of the uh, dealerships and that kind of stuff. And then I get a call the following year, I guess it was around just before June, June or July or whatever, and it's Lou Lamarillo. And I said, oh, hi, Lou, how you doing? He goes, uh, would you be interested in being a, an assistant coach? And I go, yeah, I don't know. I never, never thought about it. He says, well, I'm going to come, I'm going to fly into Montreal. I said, I'll meet you at the airport, the Hilton hotel at the airport. I said, okay. So drive over. He flies in that morning or whatever. I drive over and walk. He meets me and I walk into the room, his room or whatever. And I go around the corner and who's sitting there, but Jacques Lemaire with his big shit ass grin on his face. I said, what the hell are you doing here? And Lou goes, well, that's when they made the announcement. This is the new head coach of the uh, uh, New Jersey Devils. And uh, he wants to know if you want to be his assistant coach. So I said, sure. Yeah, why not? So that's how I, that's how I had no, I never even thought about being in the coaching ranks. And really? that, that came on the table and that's where it all started. So. Basically, I learned everything from Jacques the next next couple of years. And then uh, we won the cup in 95. And then I got a call from uh, L.A. Uh, to be uh, the head coach out in, in Los Angeles. And so I took that job and I brought Rick Green in um, as one of my assistants because I knew if being a head coach, I wouldn't be able to handle the defense and the offense and all the other things. So I wanted somebody that you know, thought like I did as far as defensemen. So I brought him in and then <clears throat> John Perpich was there at the time. And uh, so John then became uh, my other assistant and then uh, Donnie Edwards came in for the, my goaltending coach. So ended up coaching there for four years, but that was a tough, that was a tough learning experience. Yeah. I didn't well, realize. Yeah. That's there, you mean there's so much that goes into being a head coach as opposed to being a, an assistant. And uh, so it it took its toll. I mean, I, I, I saw pictures of me when we won the cup in 95 in Jersey. And then when I came back in, I think it was 2000 or 98 or whatever. And it looked like I had friggin' aged about 15 years. So it was it was it was tough. Yeah. And, and, and so now you're on the other side. Now you're coaching guys who you have yeah. been teammates with McSorley, Curry. Gretzky and Gretzky, you know, kind of famously traded in your second year to St. Louis. Yep. What's that one like? I mean, are you involved in that or how, yeah. how does that work? No, I was heavily involved in that one. It was, well, it was tough. I mean, I knew what Wayne, wa what Wayne wanted to do. He wanted, you know, he wanted to, to play a certain way and he had his ideas and I had my ideas. And um, I just, I told the GM, I think it was Sam McMaster. I said, we, we, the week, we have, we don't have the players. I mean, at that time we had no, I, there might've been two, maybe two guys or three guys that were in our minor system that could even come up and make any kind of a difference. 
but we had nothing. And what this trade allowed us, it allowed us to get five guys that would fit right in and could play right away. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's why I agreed uh, to do the trade. And I'm wait, I, I think Wayne wanted a few considerations on the other side. And I just said, listen, if, if, I mean, if you want, you can have, you know, let Wayne, let Wayne, he could, he can have the say and all that kind of stuff. But he said, um, I, if I've got to be behind the bench, I, I want to have my own say in what I do. So that's why it didn't work out. So he went his way and I went mine. No, no hard feelings or anything else. It's just part of the, unfortunately, that's the bad part of the business is that you got to make, you got to make certain decisions. And so we did, and it ended up improving our team immensely. Yeah. 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 The next year you guys finished second in the division. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then your four year run in LA ends, like you said, <laughs> aged yeah. a couple of years in a couple of years, um, yeah. you go back to the devils and now Robbie Torek is the coach yeah. and you're, are you an assistant for him or are you just yes. in? Are you no, an assistant? Assistant. Yeah. I was okay. an assistant. Uh, actually I, uh, it, it worked out cause there were uh, during the lockout, uh, myself and Jacques Caron, we ended up going down to Albany where Robbie was uh, the head coach for the, for the uh, minor team. And uh, so we were down there for a month with him and Robbie was great. I mean, he let me run some practices and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I learned firsthand, you know, how, how to run a practice and how to organize a practice and all that kind of stuff. And now, now I'm in the, in the, the big leagues and I'm, I'm working with him up there and it was we had a, it was a great great relationship i i have the utmost respect and and love for for robbie he was he was tremendous great i mean nobody had more passion for the game and loved the game more than than uh, than robbie did but yeah. unfortunately for him it, it we didn't have uh, the success that we should have had um uh i think i think if he, he made one mistake it was that uh, he let the so so-called stars get away with certain things, and your meat meat and potato players uh, not so much. Uh, and and uh, I think that was that might have been his downfall is that he lost some of his meat and potato players because uh, they saw the other guys getting away with stuff that they didn't get away with. So anyway, Lou decided to make the change, and I got a call. Of, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. And he goes, uh, Larry, um, I've decided that we need a change. Um, I've uh, fired uh, Robbie Fatorik and I want you to take over as head coach. And I, I just about faded. <laughs> uh, but I remember my first meeting and the biggest thing that I wanted to get across, because of course, as an assistant, you hear all the grumblings and so on and so forth. Ah, and then they're all saying, oh, we don't have a captain and so on and so forth. And I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, well, geez, we've got a frigging captain here. He's, he's got the C on, but people don't realize it. I mean, Scotty, Scotty held everybody accountable, not practices, uh, games. I mean, he wasn't a, you know, one of these captains going to stand up and rah, rah, rah and be talking all the time. No, he, he spoke through his actions and, there was nobody that came to play more than, than him. And uh, nobody, if I was going to war, there's nobody I'd have, rather have on my side than, than, than Scotty Stevens. So anyway, that's what ended up happening. I, I told everybody, I says, everybody were saying there's no captain here. 
Well, I pointed right to Scotty and I says, there's your captain right there. And I, I mean, Scotty, I think got about four and a half feet taller after I, I said that in front of everybody. And, uh, and then, uh, we just, we, uh, brought in a similar system to what, uh, uh, Robbie had. I changed a, a few things offensively in that and gave the offensive players a little more latitude to do, to do some things, but, uh, we got on a roll and never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. That just, and to my knowledge, there's now two guys and you've been involved with both who are interim coaches who go on to win a Stanley cup. You in 2000 are brought in, you know, in the last month and win a Stanley cup. And then years later, back in 2019, you're working with St. Louis and they bring in uh Barube and like mid season and he turns around and uh, wins a cup. Yeah, oh, that's that's another guy I absolutely love. He he. Uh, well, they brought me on uh, as a consultant uh, when when uh, they fired uh, Mike Yo. Hmm. I, I was kind of working in the background and everything else, and uh, with Mike and and Craig and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden. They let uh, Mike go, and and uh, so they asked me if I would go behind the bench, and I said, oh, I "It's not really why I came here. I mean, I've I've been there, done that, and moved on." But uh, anyway, I ended up doing it, and for about a month in that, and working with Craig and everybody else, and it was a great experience. That- yeah, well, and actually, it's interesting when you said, you know, kind of been there, done that. Um- I saw an interesting quote from you when you won the cup back in 2000 as the head coach of the devils, you said that there was a quote that said, considering how long I played hockey and how many cups I won as a defenseman in Montreal, it was my first Stanley cup win as a head coach. That's actually my greatest day in hockey, uh, which is pretty amazing. I mean, there's a lot of great days in hockey for you. So that one, that one kind of stands just a little bit above. Well, it's only because, you know what? I, I never knew how easy it was to be a hockey player playing in the playoffs uh, as opposed to being a coach. I mean, coach, the game's over. I mean, you're just, that's when your work starts. Now, all of a sudden you're preparing for the next game. You're preparing, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're preparing for uh, 950 interviews. Uh, everybody asking the same questions and so on and so forth. Uh, but, but as a player, you just, you went and had a beard and went to sleep. So th- this one here, you're babysitting for 23 guys. So when it's all said and done and over with, it's just, I don't know, it's such a relief and, and, and such an accomplishment because you've brought and kept this group together over two and a half months uh, and you've accomplished what you set out for. So I, I think that's maybe why I, uh, I would say it, it was a, the best experience in my life. Yeah, that, that's cool. Well, I have to I have to bring something up that, um, you know, so this is I've done now, you know, well over 50 of these interviews. And, you know, sometimes you come across records that you just think are never going to be broken. I mean, coming to mind is Oral Hershiser's scoreless uh, inning streak in baseball. Your plus minus over your career, you were plus 722, the which is, first of all, the NHL record. The yeah. next closest is Bobby Orr. And I think he's like, he's like at 580 or something like that. He's like 582. I think he's like 30% behind you. And the two highest active players are below 300. I think it's Patrice Bergeron 
and uh, Brad Marchand. They're like yeah. 290 or 285 or something like that. And it's it's a fluid number because it's not like goals where whether you have a good year or a bad year, you're only adding to your total, right? Right. You have three bad years. That number goes down, your plus minus yeah. number. So you are so far above anybody else in history, anybody currently playing. Somebody pointed out that the the, the guy this year, um, I think it was Lindstrom or Lindholm, had 48. He would have to yeah. do that 15 or 16 straight years to get to your number. Um and I just, I just think like, you know, is that something like when you were kind of, you know, kind of putting together those numbers, I know it was about the wins for you, but did you ever look at that and just say, this number is insane? I'm not a guy that blows my own horn, but uh, when I look at, at it now and, and compare it, like when I was, uh, when we first started, that was a huge thing back then, because a lot of guys would get bonuses for plus and minus. And so you'd have guys coming, jumping off the boards if there was a breakaway, just so they wouldn't get a freaking plus, you know, a minus on their on their card or whatever. So I, even in today's game, I mean, plus minus, I mean, still is still a, it's still a huge thing. I mean, uh, it, all it means is that you're 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 on the ice more uh, when the the team has success than than when the team's uh, being scored upon. So. I, I, I'm I'm very proud. That's one record that I'm very proud of, and I'm I'm like you. I don't I don't think it'll ever you'll ever see it happen. I mean, Bobby Orr had that such a high plus minus because he had, he scored so damn many points, and uh, I mean he was the, probably the leading scorer in two or three of those years. So um, my plus and minus came came a lot of it came uh, during the two years that uh, Serge and I played with uh, Lafleur and Shut most of the time so sure. we we were we were fortunate in that uh, we were on the ice a lot when well Shutty scored 61 year and Flower scored 50 so uh, pretty good chance you're going to be a plus <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well and and it's funny only three times in history have have has somebody been over 100 or 124 you 120 yeah. And Gretzky had a year also uh, yeah. above 100. So, you know, in the, you know, whatever, 100 plus years of NHL hockey, you know, you've got that. Yeah. And then I even looked at that team. Yeah. The year you had the 120, obviously, like you said, the Canadians, you know, with LaFleur and Shutt and you and the other defensemen. But even still, your numbers were just like those guys were kind of in the 70 to 90 range and you yeah. were at 120. I mean, it's just, it's, the, when I look at those numbers, I think nobody's, <clears throat> nobody's breaking this number. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's not going to be broken. Yeah. Uh, but, I hope uh, so. It'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'll have one. <laughs> yeah. Well, having your name on the cup 10 times is pretty cool too. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right up there. Yeah. I have to yeah. agree. In fact, in fact, like I mentioned, I talked to Scotty Bowman and, um, and, and obviously his name is on the cup even a few more times. Um, yeah. But he, he paid you a great compliment. He said, Larry was the complete player. He was a great offensive player. He was a great defensive player, great teammate, and he was very tough. And my guess is Scotty probably throws compliments around like a manhole cover. So <laughs> to get to get that, yeah, you must have caught him at a at a at a really good moment, Rich, because I 
There's not too many of those that I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I caught him in a moment of weakness. Yeah. Um, uh, but that, I mean, you know, coming from a guy like him, it's got to be uh, pretty cool to hear. Yeah, that, that is. That's a that's a great honor for me. I mean, I mean Scotty and I have uh, probably became closer since I since I left and and uh, became a coach. And and I, I probably understand Scotty better now, having been a coach myself. Of yeah. what he had, what he had to go through, but I mean, this man is what 84, 85 right now, but now or maybe eighty six. He, he might be eighty nine or ninety. Yeah, and as smart as a tack. I mean, he remembers stuff I can't even remember, uh, and uh, he's got me by like twenty years. So, uh, just an amazing, amazing, amazing person. He's he's got a, a mind like a trapdoor. What were the arenas? I mean, obviously you played in the legendary Montreal Forum. Um, what were the arenas that you walked into that were not that they were intimidating, but were there any arenas where you're like, oh God, this place again? Um, or places where you thought this is pretty damn cool playing in this place? Well, I really I I love playing in the gardens, Boston Garden. Mm -hmm. I, I never liked playing in at uh Madison Square Gardens and and the Maple Leaf Gardens, those two. I don't know why. I just didn't they didn't suit my eye or whatever but um once i once i played the canada cup in the in the, the gardens of toronto it became a little bit better because then i got to practice there and uh you know play there a lot more uh but the one i don't know what it was was winnipeg i it seemed like every time our team was going to winnipeg i'd get get an injury i mm. and i i wasn't hurt a lot in my career but uh, most of the time that we played against Winnipeg, I, I ended up not making the trip because of an injury. In fact, my, my brother, Mo, the only time that he got to dress for the big team in Montreal was what the time that I got hurt and he went, went out there and filled and filled my spot. So I guess that was kind of the jinx, uh, yeah. rink for me. Right. Interesting. Um, and who, who were the defensemen, you know, in, in today's hockey that you like to watch? There's a there's quite a few good good players out there, right off the top of my head. Well, anybody that I, like Petrangelo, I I got to coach him, or not really coach, but I got to be around him in uh, St. Louis, and I I like the way that he plays. Um, he's his leadership too was is great. Um, well, I guess uh, Hosey, okay, is uh, is. A very very good all around player. He's he's extremely well. And then of course, um, the kid and uh, he's not a kid anymore, but um, the one that won that the Norris Trophy this year had a heck of a year. Eric Carlson, sure, he had a great year this year, uh, and he's on one leg, so that's that's uh, that's pretty good. But for me, I, I if I thought of one over the years that uh, is Lidstrom in 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 Detroit, I think he's a one of the greatest uh, that I've, I've played in a long time too. Yeah, he's a great defenseman. Yeah, um, and two last questions for you. One is, who were the guys who you played against? Who I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a forward, but you know, it could be any position. Who, where you thought, oh God, this guy again? You know, he's just he's just going to be you know in my grill all night, or you know, I'm just going to have to be extra vigilant with this guy. You know, was there like one forward or two forwards who just really stood out to you as a pain to play against? <laughs> there were a lot of them that were a pain to play against. 
Well, Kenny Lind Kenny uh, Kenny Lindstrom was a pain in the ass. Um, there was a, a guy that played for um, the, the Quebec Nordiques, and we used to always uh, Hunter, Hunter Dale Hunter. Oh boy, there's a there's a competitor. Great. I mean, we uh, we since we both retired, we we talk and everything else. And I play with his brother Mark, but Dale was a real pain in the ass to play against. Sure. Sure. And was there one goalie last question? Was there one goalie? And it was interesting. I asked this question of Denny Potvan and he said, I think it was the next teammate of yours, Dennis Heron. I said, was there yeah. one goalie who just, it didn't have to be the biggest all-star who just for whatever reason had your number. Was there like one goalie who just drove you nuts? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. I could, I, you know, there's certain guys I just couldn't. I mean, I, I, I can't really tell you anybody that I scored more than one or two goals on. Mm. Uh, I, I, uh, I was probably more known as a passer than a, than a shooter. So I, I, I mean, I, th I scored 19 goals, well, I think twice in my career, but I never had more than, more than that. So got it. Oh, I, but I, I have to say my goal. The overtime goal against uh, Philadelphia in my rookie year, uh, Doug Favell, I put one over his, it was gloved hand. That was that that one I can remember vividly because it was my first goal. So I remember sure. that one. That's cool. That's good. Well, Larry Robinson, I have to tell you, it, it's been awesome talking to you about obviously, you know, the the run of cups with the Canadians and and then the years in LA and and you know your coaching successes with you know various cups in in uh, in in New Jersey. It's been a real pleasure, you know, to to Thank take you. some time and to, and talk to you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Rich. It's been been fun talking to you. Fun reminiscing. <laughs> great stories. Great stories. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, bud. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Tonight, it feels like life.